Scripture. We're going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll be reading a few sections. We'll start in chapter 1, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, and then we'll read verses 7 through 16. And so I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, let it speak to you, and let the Spirit speak to you as we share together. This is Paul writing to the church that is gathered in Corinth. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. Down to verse 7. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, quoting, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond measure. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, we humble ourselves before you, and I humble myself before you, asking, O God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you, that you would captivate us in body, mind, spirit, all that is heard and all that is said, that it may be directly from your Holy Spirit witnessing to us words for our life, for our holiness, and for a renewal to our call to discipleship and mission. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The United States Military Academy at West Point, New York, is one of their more selective institutions of higher education. West Point, Military Academy. There are a lot of schools that require a lot, but West Point sits up there as one of the more selective of those institutions. For example, If you wanted to get into West Point for your degree, you would have to be nominated by the President of the United States or the Vice President or a member of Congress. And not only do you need to have a personal invitation by somebody in one of those offices, you also need to live up to the highest standards of academic achievement, which sounds pretty normal for a school of higher learning, but also rigorous standards of physical achievement. Achievement. West Point is hard to get into. Each year, there are 14,000 applicants, give or take, that begin the application process to get into West Point. 
And each year, roughly 1,200 people of those 14,000, 1,200 people get in. It's a pretty selective process. If you're one of those 1,200, you better be a little proud of yourself if you were trying to get in there. Admission into West Point comes at pretty much a, a near lifetime worth of work it takes to get in. Uh, to be a part of that. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. Out of that 1,200 people, the most interesting thing happens. You've given most of your life up until this point to try to meet these standards, yet one in five of those people will drop out of West Point in their first year. You've worked your whole life to get into it. You've sought nominations from government officials. You have worked out, (laughs) studied hard, But something happens to one in five of those students in the first year that makes them drop out. In fact, let's narrow that down even further. Most of those who will drop out in their first year do it at one time during a seven-week intensive program called the Beast Barracks. Yes, that is the official name, the Beast Barracks. Sounds homey and wonderful, right? Yeah, the Beast Barracks. Oh, come hug me and make me feel great at college. The Beast. The Beast Barracks takes place over seven weeks at the summer, during the summer of, of the first year at West Point. And most of the people who will drop out in that first year will leave at this point. It's described in the school's official handbook as the most physically and emotionally demanding part of your time at West Point. The Beast Barracks. Cadets will wake up at 5 a.m., They'll engage in physical activity, physical training, classes, and other learning until 10 p.m. at night, seven days a week for seven weeks. One, candidate, uh, one cadet describes it this way. He says, During the beast, you are challenged in a variety of ways in every developmental area, mentally, physically, militarily, and socially. The system will find your weaknesses. But that is the point. This is how he describes it. So here's a question that comes up as I'm reading about this. What is it in the people who make it? What do the people who make it through the beast barracks, what what do they have? What do they hold in common? It's a question that I've got. This question's been studied by a lot of people. It's not my own question. And people have been talking about it for years, really. At one time, folks thought, okay, this is, the, this is the key. People who have a deep drive for success and people who can visualize themselves doing courageous things, those are the qualities that it takes to get through the beast barracks and into your second year at West Point. People who can do that, they're the ones who will make it. And so they tested it out, and it turns out, that's not the deciding factor. Okay? So West Point itself, as an institution, decided that it wanted to study this uh, dropout rate, and they developed something called the whole candidate score. And so there's a, there's a um, testing process of some variety that takes into account the various parts of being a human at West Point. And it scores them on this level, thinking that cadets who have a high whole candidate score, they will be the ones who make it through the beast barracks and make it into their second year. And it turns out that that's not it either. So if it, it, it isn't drive, it isn't talent, 
It isn't vision. It's not even a high whole candidate score. So what is it? Now, we could ask the same question about another group of people. We can ask the same question about pastors in local church ministries. You may or may not know this, but the rate of pastors leaving ministry each year is alarmingly high. Now, you might have seen some of this on the news. Uh, There are high-profile folks every now and then who will get themselves in trouble, Uh, highly successful pastors, well-loved and liked with uh, very fruitful congregations. You'll see it in the news. They'll get caught up with financial troubles or um, adultery issues or, or other things, drugs and alcohol, and they'll end up having to step down. You can see that kind of stuff happen in the news. But really, those high-profile cases are just the tip of the iceberg. It's the things that you don't see. According to two research groups, the Fuller Institution and the Barna Group, listen to me here, in 2016, 3,500 pastors left the ministry each day. Not all year, each day. And the statistics say that only one out of ten who start a ministry career will retire as a minister of some form. So here's the deal. There are probably some of those folks in pastoral ministry that maybe shouldn't have been pastors. We, We get that. But a majority of those pastors were called to the ministry, confirmed by their churches, highly trained in theology and practiced through seminary education. Most of the ones who we see walk away are highly effective, well-liked, and talented. And yet the data shows us that the pressures and rigors of pastoral ministry take an enormous toll on pastors. Some make it, and many don't. You could take that in a lot of different fields. But the question that I have again It's for the people who stay, the ones who make it, what do they have in common? That's a good question for sure. Now, you might be wondering about this. What in the world are we talking about West Point and pastors this morning for? Because these are specific situations that are examples of a more universal experience. These specific situations give us a clue to a more universal experience. While only 1,200 people will get into West Point and not everybody will give their life to pastoral ministry, we all, all of us, have at least one thing in common with these groups of people. And that is that we will all face adversity that strikes right at our weaknesses. We simply will. You may not be headed to West Point, you may not be heading to the pulpit, but we all have something in common. That adversity will strike us at our weakest point in our life, if not once, then multiple times. It's simply going to happen. And so, if there's something that West Point cadets or people who uh, have a lifetime career in ministry or in any other area, if there's something that they've got that can take them through that, I'd like to know what it is, wouldn't you? I think maybe it could be helpful. I think it could benefit our lives. Yeah, I've been thinking about this uh, adversity in our lives, and and this week I've been thinking a good bit about parents. You know, schools just started back up, and uh, a couple weeks ago everybody was going, hee-haw. Kids weren't excited, but Mama wanted to be able to go back and do her thing. Um, between school starting and, and sports and after-school activities, 
and all of the other things that go along, there are a handful of parents that are all over the place right now. Between getting the kids up and fed and to school, and then if a parent works outside of the home to get to go and to do that, then to after school to go pick up this kid here, and if you've got more than one kid, pick up this kid here, and then this kid over here, and then try to feed them and get homework done, and try to get to bed at a decent hour to do it all again the next day. Sometimes for parents, it can be like the beast barracks in their own home, and what happens is there are a lot of families during this season, and it'll happen again in the spring, they're out of the house almost every night of the week. Whole families. And there's a lot of folks who can do that really well. And that's good for you if you can do it really well. But here's the deal. We can spin a lot of plates, but sometimes all it takes is one more thing. I've got all that going on, and then somebody starts having a lot of trouble in school. We've got all this going on, but man, something happened at work, and it's tough. We've got this going on, or, and now my children and I are, are in a disagreement, or, or my, my husband or wife, we're fighting, and we've got this marital difficulty, or I can't make the paycheck stretch, or somebody got sick, and there's something that happens. Sometimes as simple as a flat tire will just be the last thing that piles on, and we're in over our heads. And it's not just parents that live life like this. I'm saying that a lot of us have these things that go on in our lives, and all it's going to take is one more thing. And we're in over our heads, and we know it's coming, and sometimes we fear it. We deal with sickness. There are people who just get, they're sick, and, and they didn't know it was coming, and it challenges their limits. It's a challenge to, so for, for many people to say, all right, I get paid here, and I get paid here. What do I do in between? Or I get paid here, and I'm not going to get paid here all of a sudden. What am I going to do in between? Dealing with difficult people stretches us to our limits. Depression and anxiety, strained marriages, deaths in our Circles of relationships. I can go on and on, but I think you get the point. The point is, is that life can be rigorous and challenging. And sometimes just when we think we've got it, there's one more thing. So we take that in mind. When faced with all of this in our life, what we notice is that some people make it and some people don't. And what I want to know for all of us is what is the difference between them? What is the difference between them? Y'all following with me? All right, so... In both the case of West Point and pastoral ministry, there are numerous academic studies that are done because you can study anything you want to. Um, and they find that there's a, there is a common factor in some of this. And uh, It's not a set of skills. It's not a talent. It's a thing called resilience. You all know the word resilience? Resilient, to bounce back, to get back up. It's a, um, there's an old song from the 90s that says, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Is anybody else with me on that one? (laughs) That's resilience. It was a hit song in the 90s. Folks who make it in those situations, the studies find the quality they have in common is resilient. They get knocked down, they get up again. Nothing's going to hold them down. Simply put, it's the capacity to bounce back. Resilience is the capacity to, to keep going when the world throws everything that has got at you time and time again, and you get up and it throws it and you get up. Resilient people dust themselves off after failure and keep going. All right, so in these academic studies, resilience is the factor that keeps people from getting buried alive by their circumstances. It helps them survive the difficulty in their circumstances. And I don't know about you, but if I had two choices, and one was to get buried alive by my trouble, and the other is to survive my trouble, I'd like to at least survive. I'd like to at least do that. I don't know how many times I could get by just surviving, but hopefully I'd at least like to do that. But, but is survival enough? Is survival enough? 
And when I think about our, our, our faith in Christ and the call and promise that God has for us and, and, and the way that God makes things new in this world, is, is that all that God has in store for us is just to survive? Is it enough for us to just make it? Is that what the desire of God is for our life? But there is another option between getting buried alive and surviving. There is a third way that the scriptures tell us about in many places. In the face of adversity, what the promise of our faith is, is that you don't have to get buried alive, and you can do more than simply survive. There is a third way, and to kind of unwrap what that is, I want to turn to one more case study. This is number three, this time the life of the Apostle Paul in the scriptures. We read a few minutes ago from 2 Corinthians. And here, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church there in Corinth. Uh, and he's really, it, most of the letter, he's defending his ministry. He's getting some pushback, and there's been other people coming to town talking about other things, and there's a lot of questioning about Paul's ministry. So he's defending and describing what he does. And the interesting thing is, in the course of, of all of that, he and his colleagues have faced humongous adversity in Corinth and as they've traveled the world uh, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've been imprisoned for their faith. They've been shipwrecked, and Paul was shipwrecked more than once. I don't know about this, fool me once, shame on me, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of thing, but he's been shipwrecked a bunch. They've been beaten, they've been mocked, and they've been discredited, insulted, on and on and on. The adversity is an onslaught to Paul and his co-laborers. It's enough to make anybody quit. But Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. And I think, I hear you. (laughs) But we are not crushed. Okay? We are perplexed. We are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. I can hear in that a little bit of resilience, can't you? Even in the middle of these extremely tough challenges, Paul and his friends are resilient. They are not buried alive by it. They are surviving it. But here's the deal. If we read on and we look at the life of Paul, they are doing more than simply surviving through it. Because what we know is that Paul will end up being responsible for the spread of Christianity through two continents and then from there across the whole world. Paul's not scraping by. Paul's not barely getting past this. Paul Paul is thriving. Everything that happens to Paul seems to make him step up taller. Every time something tries to knock him down at the knees, he grows another two feet. Every time something shipwrecks him and casts him off the side, he runs two miles further than he was going to go before. There's something about what is going on in Paul's life that when something would knock him down, it makes him stronger. It makes him grow. Paul thrives in the face of adversity. So we can do more than get buried alive. This is what Paul could have done. We can do more than survive. It seems like it seems like we can thrive in the face of the difficulties of life. I wonder how we can do that. Paul talks about it a little bit, and I'll share these two verses with you. Paul says it this way. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. You can almost put a beat behind that. That rhymes. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. 
And you can see that there are things that happen in our lives that they come at us from the outside and it seems like we get tired, we get worn down, we get stressed, we get anxious. Our bodies are just, uh, they're wasting away. And sometimes when we get sick, it really feels that way. But Paul says, while all of that is happening, there is something that happens inside of me that renews me. While what happens outside of me may be an onslaught of horrible affliction that hits me all in my weaknesses, I will not lose heart because I am being renewed in my inner life day by day. That's interesting. It appears to say that what happens to us on the outside does not have to determine what happens to us on the inside. It appears to say that though we are afflicted in every way on the outside, there is something about the inner life that can see us through it. And Paul says, it's not something that I'm doing that makes my inner life strong. For all of you linguistics folks and English majors, he says, I am being renewed. That is a passive Verb. That means that it is happening to him. That means that somebody is renewing him inwardly. God. God who is renewing his heart and renewing his will and renewing his inner life. That no matter what happens around him, it is not going to stop God from speaking into Paul's life and giving him all the grace that he needs to stand tall and to be firm and to be at peace beyond understanding. Because I don't know if you know this or not, there is nothing in all of this world, not height, nor depth, nor principality, or power, or width, or anything in all of this world that can separate one from the love of God. And God is not going to determine his actions based on what we go through because they're not going to defeat God. God says, you're struggling, I can get there anyway. And his goal is to renew us each and every day. So part of Paul's ability to thrive in the middle of all the things that happen is because while these things are happening outside of him, God is doing something inside of him. And it is God that is giving him renewal. God is his outside strength. And he also says this, And this one gets me every time because he says, for our light and momentary troubles, light and momentary troubles, but you've been shipwrecked and imprisoned and beaten, light and and momentary troubles. I don't know about you. You ever have something happen to you and it's all you can think about? It's like like the mirror on the side of your car. It says objects and mirror may be closer than they appear. And, and that's how it is when something happens in our life. Somebody gets mad at us. We make a mistake. You know, we've done this or that or, or, or we're sick or, or something happens. The bank calls and said, bounce check. And all of a sudden, it's all you can see. And Paul says, that's, I consider that a light and momentary trouble. Okay, Paul, how do you get there? He says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So not only does Paul take these humongous things that are difficult and could overwhelm any of our vision, not only does he call them light and momentary, he also says that his troubles achieve something for him. They're doing something for him. Isn't that weird? That's backwards. It's backwards, but the gospel's backwards. I don't know if you know this. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first, and the dead shall rise. The gospel's full of backwards stuff. And, and, and Paul says that what seems big is really light and momentary. And what seems like it will be destroying me is actually achieving something for me, because on the other end of this is eternal glory. And so it's perspective. It's perspective. It is the renewal of God, and it is perspective that Paul sees because he says he knows this he knows that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and if and if 
nothing can save. Even death can't keep Jesus from coming up from the grave. There's nothing that can happen to him that will stop Jesus from rising in him. He knows this is true. The, the resurrection proves to him this point, that the worst thing that could happen to him right now will never be the last thing that happens to him because Jesus promised him life after death and resurrection and all of those fantastic and wonderful things. And nothing's going to stop Jesus from fulfilling his promise. And so it's this perspective, he says, the worst thing that happens now pales in comparison to the great thing that will happen later. The worst thing that happens to me now will never be the last thing because I have my faith in Christ. And so this perspective allows him to re-see. And so it is God's active renewal and the perspective of, of God's future that allows Paul to thrive in the midst of adversity. He doesn't just make it, he grows through it. He grows through it because it's God's work in him. And so our capacity to thrive in the face of adversity comes from God who carries our hearts and shapes our soul and grounds us in a a trajectory of the future that no challenge or adversity has the power to shake. Our capacity to thrive comes from God. And Paul thrives. And it's not because of some exclusive trait. It's not because he's got some superb talent or, or because he's avoided risks along the way. The only thing that Paul did actively to be able to thrive is something that you and I can do as well. And that is he placed his life in the hands of God through Jesus Christ. And all of those promises became his. I won't make it through the beast barracks, I promise you that. I could, I could probably get, if I woke up at five, I could probably get to 10 o'clock that first day. I can't do that, but I can give my life to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I can't get more than two pull-ups at the beast barracks, but I can give my life to Jesus. It doesn't require specific strength, specific talent, specific anything other than will, because God is calling us. We can all do this. And that means that we can all thrive. And that means this. That means this. In the faith, we will all face challenges, but we don't all have to get buried alive, and we can do more than simply survive. We can thrive in the face of challenge. Listen to this. What if you knew, what what would happen in your life if you knew right now that the weight that you are carrying was not going to crush you, but it would make you a stronger force in the world? What if you knew that whatever you're facing right now was not going to take you down, but would actually help you stand taller than ever before? What would you do if you knew that the darkness that's going on in your life right now was not going to blind you, but could actually make you shine brighter on the other side? How would you face the troubles and adversity of your life differently if you knew that you were going to come out better on the other side? That is the power of faith in Jesus Christ. When we are talking and looking at it, when we're looking at eternity, our our troubles aren't so big in comparison. When we're being renewed by the grace of God, the world can come at us with all it's got and take some skin with it, and we will still be standing taller than we ever were before. And we know that the worst thing that would happen in our lives will never be the last thing and that everything that could ever come against us cannot stop us from living in the peace of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be a vision? That is the power of faith in Jesus. A gentleman named Ernest Hemingway wrote a couple books. He said, life breaks us all. Some of us grow stronger at the broken places. Some of us grow stronger at the broken places. We all face adversity, but it doesn't have to bury us alive. And we can do more than simply survive. 
my friends, we can thrive. That is the power of God. I invite you to pray with me. Father, gathered here together, we are thankful for your word and your promise, but we also know that there are things that are weighing down in our life. And we just ask, O oh God, that today, today you would renew us in our inward being, that today you would renew our perspective, that today you would give us what it takes to not get buried alive and to grow strong in the middle of what we're going through. And I know, God, that today there's somebody here that is struggling with something big in their life and it's hitting them right where it hurts. God, work in their life by the power of your Holy Spirit right now in these moments. Give them all that they need to be able to stand tall and to rest in you. And God, help us, all of us, through the adversity that we face to grow stronger. And when we do, we bear witness to your power in this world. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. My friends, as we prepare to sing our hymn of invitation,